This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. I'd like to tell you about some of the processes that unfold as the baby brain grows and, and develops. In particular, I'm going to focus on the underpinnings of language, since language learning impairment is a feature of so many developmental disorders, which we're going to get into later. So why look at baby brain function? Because while we watch this magical unfolding of early abilities across development, we can begin to answer some very big questions, including how do early events of development influence later cognition and later competence? What risk factors during early development have consequences for adult behavior or disorder, and how that might, how might that be altered, and how can very early abnormalities in the functional organization of brain networks be causal in developmental disorders such as language learning disorder, autism, or ADHD? And importantly, how early might biomarkers be detected, measured, and perhaps remediated with non-invasive technologies? So, as newborns, babies can discriminate the sounds of every language um, acoustically, but not linguistically. So, starting at birth, the baby's developing brain is constructing an acoustic map of the sounds of his or her native language. And this gradual process, perceptual narrowing, is thought to be completed by the end of the first year. Mapping of these acoustic contrasts is important because their salient to the surrounding language ultimately allows the child to respond in a fast, automatic way to the incoming language stream. And it's problematic if this doesn't go well because it impacts um, mounting of fluent native language uh, as well as cognition and later reading due to difficulties in what's called phoneme to grapheme mapping, that is, mashing speech sounds to letters, which you need to do to read. Uh, efficient processing of basic auditory events in the tens of millisecond domain called rapid auditory processing is critical to mounting language in normative development and allows the most optimal acoustic maps to be constructed. And this is because many speech sounds, phonemes like da or ta, uh, only differ by brief spectral and or temporal changes specifically within the tens of milliseconds. And differences in these basic acoustic processing abilities have been shown to be related to both concurrent and later language learning difficulties. Research from my lab strongly suggests that the ability to f- perform these very fine acoustic discriminations within speech or non-speech, because we mainly look at prelinguistic non-speech, is critically important to normative language, and it may go awry in a subset of developmental disorders. Moreover, these skills predict language outcomes through early pre-reading and have an impact on later learning. So many of our studies, uh, we examine populations at higher risk for various disorders as a consequence of a child being born into a family with such disorders. And heritability studies suggest the risk can be 30 to 60% higher depending on which disorder and which study. So how do you measure brain responses in infants? Um, You can use electroencephalography, EEG, which reflects the summation of um, 
the synchronous activity of millions of neurons that have similar spatial orientation. You can also use brain-evoked related potentials. And this is an average across many trials to generate an averaged waveform that is time-locked to external stimulation. This permits examination of the time course in the brain areas related to sensory processing. And you can compare and contrast group response as well as compare individual responses to group norms. Research suggests that brain oscillations, which are cyclic fluctuations of the membrane potential in brain cells, control neuronal excitability, integrate sensory inputs, and may coordinate higher-level functions such as language memory and learning. However, neural dynamics is just beginning to be studied in the human infant. Our previous studies in pilot data strongly suggest that oscillatory dynamics and their hierarchical organization have a developmental timeline and may capture disruption in normative development. So how can you look at that? You can look at the EEG, um, and you can do something called a fast Fourier analysis. This is one way of doing it, which breaks the the, um, EEG pattern down into its component frequencies. Um, Synchronized neural oscillations in these low frequencies, delta, theta, and alpha, are thought to provide key mechanisms that orchestrate network coordination during development and may be involved in information transfer among brain areas. Theta oscillations in particular are important for perceptual and cognitive functions, such as declarative and episodic memory, and have been proposed as a neural mechanism subserving phonemic discrimination, which is one of the reasons we're very interested in it. Gamma oscillations from 30 to 80 or 90 hertz may represent synchronized activity of local neuronal populations during sensory and cognitive processes, but may also, particularly high gamma, play a role in coupling of remote cortical areas. So given that activity in this gamma frequency has been linked in humans and animals to a wide variety of higher cognitive processes, including attention, memory, and language, we first examined power density in frontal cortex across the language burst in two groups of children. Um, And I'm going to give you a few little snippets of some studies. Um, We studied the power of um, spectra in uh, two groups of children with and without a family history of language learning impairment at 16, 24, and 36 months of age when this huge burst in language occurs. We found that individual differences in frontal gamma power during rest highly correlated with concurrent language and cognitive skills at all ages. Children with a family history of language learning impairment had lower frontal gamma at all ages, Power was also associated with attentional measures. Children who were observed as having better inhibitory control and more mature attention-shifting abilities had higher power. We continued to follow this group, um, and we found that examining gamma across the language burst strongly predicted to both cognition and language at ages four and five years. We saw that Um, At at 16, 24, and 36 months, resting gamma was associated with four-year language comprehension scores and word structure and sentence structure scores. And at 24 and 36 months, gamma power was significantly associated with five-year sentence imitation, which is really important for pre-readers. 36-month gamma power was also significantly associated with five-year syntactical skills. So what's the the take-home message here? We believe that 
the capacity to generate higher power in the gamma range at these crucial developmental periods may index better modulation of attention and allow, allow easier access to working memory, providing an advantage for overall de development, particularly in the linguistic domain. We were then interested in examining oscillatory support in younger infants. So using event-related potential, source localization, and a time-frequency analysis of event-related oscillations, so from the source, we examined the neural substrates of rapid auditory processing in four-month-olds. Animal models in adult experiments suggest that oscillatory synchrony and, a, in particular, low-frequency oscillations in the delta and theta range play key roles in rapid auditory processing and auditory change detection. So we hypothesized that synchronized activity of brain oscillations in left and right auditory cortices would support rapid frequency discrimination in infants. Moreover, we thought that infant perception of rapid pitch and timing changes, which is so critical, should be mediated at par in part, at least, by oscillatory mechanisms. These issues had not been looked at in infants at all, in human infants. We used two sets of stimuli, speech-like tones and a control condition that was out of the speech-like range. So we found, and this is a very busy slide, but I'll walk you through it. These, you're going to see some of these figures that show pooled oscillatory power over time with frequency on the x-axis, time on the y-axis for these complex tone pairs in the control rate and in the rapid rate, the speech-like rate. And these are for standards, the background sounds. These are for deviants, the ones that change. And this is the difference between the two. Face uh, synchronization is in red. Desynchronization is in blue. And what we saw was that there was uh, enhanced phase locking to variant tones in both rate conditions, um, larger and faster activation in the right hemisphere at both rates, However, left auditory activity was enhanced only during rapid rate presentation. We also gave these babies um, a go-no-go -go behavioral task at their second visit. Auditory perception was measured by the infant's ability to learn a reward contingency for a deviant tone in a pair. And the number of trials it took the baby to get four out of five correct was their criterion. Um, and we, we did a median split with faster and slower learners. And what you see is that tone discrimination is strongest for the children who learn faster. We also saw that slower learners had smaller power differences between their standard and deviant responses. Um, and this is, uh, suggests that they had a lot of difficulty discriminating one signal from another. So the takeaway message here is that local low-frequency oscillatory synchrony underlies rapid processing and can robustly index auditory abilities in young infants. And recruitment of the left hemisphere during rapid frequency change suggests a difference in the spectral and temporal resolution of the right and left hemispheres, even at this very early age. Moreover, we were able to predict behavior in a go-no-go -no -go task by looking at oscillatory brain power. So the question is, if we can find deficits so early in life, can we alter them using the exquisite plasticity typical of this early developmental time period while infants are setting up their acoustic mapping? Can we make the baby a better processor? And can we see intervention-specific changes in the brain waves and oscillatory patterns that reflect enhanced processing? So can we look for some causal mechanisms?
And so we did a study, we did a couple of studies, and looking at plasticity in developing brain and seeing if active auditory exposure would impact prelinguistic acoustic mapping. And I'm going to go through this pretty quickly, but the paper's published if you need it. Uh, so we looked at the neural correlates of acoustic mapping with dense array EEG ERP before and after a six-week interactive progressive acoustic experience. We used an operantly conditioned go-no-go active paradigm with an eye-tracking control so the baby could actually um, manipulate the um, experiment. And we used a passive control and a naive maturation control. And here's the study designed two longitudinal arms, one with active training, one with passive training, and two, a cross-sectional sample of children who were not trained. So what did they get when they were trained? Once a week for six weeks, um, for six to eight minutes, the babies were trained on three different types of paired stimuli, complex tones, bandpass noise, frequency sweeps, presented at varying ISIs and varying complexities using an up-down staircase procedure. So if the baby got it right, it got harder. They got it wrong, it got easier. And so they went up and down until they reached criterion. The passive group got the same stimuli and the same time exposure, but passive with no feedback. And we didn't train the naive children. After they were trained, we collected data on ERPs, EEGs that they had been trained on, as well as different types of generalization stimuli. So we looked at um, deviants with spectrotemporal parameters that significantly differed from the training stimuli, one with a gap, one with a differing duration, and one with frequency. So what did we see? Yes, this is a monster figure. So we're not going to talk about um, the grand average waveforms. I'm going to just pull out the information about these time-locked age-appropriate topograms to, first of all, this P2 t- peak. And this is a peak that happens that's an attentional peak. Um, and what we see here is around each topogram, if it has a red box, it means there were significantly faster latencies. So the active group was significantly faster than both the passive and the naive groups on this peak. Um, and then we also were interested in looking at what's called the N2 star. And this is the change discrimination peak that happens right before the baby discriminates the signal. Um, and it It's important because it's been shown to be a robust infant predictor of later language. So both of the auditory groups, um, experience groups, were significantly faster than the naive controls, but the actives had larger amplitude compared to both other groups and showed um, uh, a left hemisphere lateralization. We then looked at the signals that were... Uh, generalization stimuli. And what you can see in these bar graphs is the mean latency of each deviant at each of the nine electrode sites for P1. That's the first sensory peak that signals that a stimulus has been perceived. And what you can see here for the gap, for the duration and the frequency, is the active group was significantly faster at all nine electrode sites. So we demonstrated that while both active and passive Um, acoustic experience from four to seven months, uh, modulated non-speech stimuli, active experience conferred a significant advantage. That active experience increased attention to environmental acoustic stimuli, and that faster latencies were seen 
for the change discrimination peak that has been shown to be a robust infant predictor of later language. Moreover, we saw generalization to both trained and untrained stimuli over and above that seen for maturation alone. And do these intervention effects generalize to language? I can just say yes, because I think we're just about at the end. But just let me show you this high gamma. At nine months, we looked to we continued to look at them longitudinally, and you can see that for the actives, you have this very high gamma input here, which is a prominent characteristic of early sensory processing and may index cortical activation given larger high but not low gamma responses are correlated with increases in overall firing rates, particularly during attentional, attentional modulation. And with that, I show you our prototype that does the same intervention um, in the baby's home. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.